0: Nobody boasts in their weakness. Nobody at the gym boasts about not being able to do a pull-up. Nobody boasts about not being able to finish a mile run. We just don't boast in our weakness. In fact, we hide our weaknesses. So I've noticed something. The the person at the gym who can't do a pull-up doesn't want to try in the presence of others. Same is true intellectually. No student other than the ham in the room boasts in a pathetic grade. Same is true in every realm. Whatever is embarrassing, whatever is weak, whatever is not respectable, whatever, we want to minimize it or prove it. We don't want to highlight and display it. You know why? Because nobody wants to be a fool. And nobody wants to be weak. Which is why the message of this week's text is so shocking to our sensibilities. Because what God calls you to do this morning is to embrace, is to highlight, and boast in what most of the world around you considers foolish and weak. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you're new with us this morning, you've come at a great time. We're just beginning to get into a new series on the book of 1 Corinthians. And today we land in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. I'm going to read the whole thing. And then we're going to work through each section. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews, folly to the Gentiles. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring the nothing, the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You ever had a massive paradigm shift? So you're thinking about something one way, but something happens, and your perspective just totally changes. That's what the Corinthians need. That's what they need, because they're divided as a church. And in last week's text, Paul calls them to unity, and the reason they're divided is because they're thinking about things just all wrong. They're thinking about life and... And church and, and God, all of it right now is shaped by the wisdom of the world. So, so how they think about what's wise and how, how they think about what's foolish and how they think about what's weak and what's strong, how they think about what they should be proud of and how they think about what they should be embarrassed by, it's all shaped by the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom from God. And so Paul's going to take all of their thinking about these things and he's going to turn it on its head. He is going to pull the rug out from underneath their ungodly, worldly thinking and then he's going to replace it and reshape it with God's wisdom. First point, God's wisdom is a crucified Savior. Let me ask you a question. If you were an all-powerful, all-wise God, how would you choose to save fallen man? What would you do? Ooh, I know. You would, at great cost to yourself, give your own son to pay the price for those who have broken your law and To be made right with you. That's exactly what you would do. No! Of course you wouldn't do that. That's ridiculous. There has to be a better way than that. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. This plan to save sinners through giving Jesus Christ as a substitute payment for them is crazy. Now, of course, if you're a Christian here this morning, then you don't think that's Cray because to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yes, Christ crucified and risen is the power of God. it has saved you from the power of sin and death, and you know it is the power of God. but to those outside of Christ, to those wise in their own esteem, they don't because it is written. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In Isaiah 29 where Paul quotes this from, the so-called prophets and those deemed wise couldn't understand what the Lord was doing because their hearts were far from Him. And so the Lord prevented them from understanding His plans and then Paul applies this to his own day. Where's the one who's wise? It's just wisdom in general, anybody who thinks they're wise. Where is the scribe? That's the teacher of the Jewish law. Where is the debater of this age, public intellectuals? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now, Paul's not denying the the intellectual gifts and capacities and abilities of these people. His point is that, number one, their wisdom is not sufficient to know him. And number two, if that's the case, their wisdom is actually ultimately foolishness. Just think about it. If you're wise, but you don't know the author of wisdom, are you really wise? You're a fool. What ultimate use is your wisdom if you don't know the author and the judge of life? Your wisdom is foolishness. Paul takes a step back here and what he does is he tells us, strangely enough, this situation, it's from God. The fact that man's wisdom is not sufficient to know him and that man's wisdom is ultimately folly, this situation is from God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It is the wisdom of God that mankind by his own wisdom cannot know God. Well, one time somebody asked either Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, I don't remember which, but they're both very famous intellectuals and atheists, and somebody asked them. they said, listen, if God exists, if he exists, what will you say to him when you meet him? And their response... Why didn't you make yourself clearer? Friends, if mere wisdom were sufficient to know God, then trust me, these two men would know him because they're brilliant. God designed it such that wisdom alone doesn't reveal The folly, the folly of preaching does. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Think about this. God's saving revelation of Himself comes through someone speaking a simple and straightforward message about Jesus Christ. How does God savingly reveal Himself? Through mystical experiences? Through gazing at the power and beauty of creation? through spiritual pilgrimage, through a lifetime of study. No! Through a simple message that can be explained in less than a minute by a kindergartner. God made you. You rebelled against him. He sent Jesus to take your punishment by dying in your place and rising again. And if you turn from your sin and trust him, you will be saved. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That's not how you would expect God to accomplish salvation, is it? Somebody be honest with me. (laughs) It wasn't now and it wasn't back then. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. This isn't what you would expect. And, And more than that, maybe it's so simple Maybe it's so simple you're put off by it. Well, if you're put off by it, they were put off by it back then too. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles. you know why Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews? Because the idea of a crucified Savior is a contradiction in terms. It's like saying hot ice, okay? It doesn't make sense. A Savior is one who comes to conquer. Savior is one who comes to free from the oppressor. A savior is one who comes to restore the glory of the nation. A savior is not one who comes to die. A savior is not one who comes to die a criminal's death. A savior is not one who comes to be betrayed. This is scandalous to the Jew. It is a stumbling block me believe in a crucified savior never it's a scandalizing thing to them and it's foolishness to the gentiles me believe in the simple-minded christianity me believe there's really only one way to god me, believe that Jesus really rose from the dead? Me, believe that my sins will condemn me to hell? Me, believe me believe that there is actually such a thing as hell? Foolishness. Friends, do you see how everything is being turned on its head? Everything is being turned on its head. What the world esteems is wise is ultimately foolishness. And what the world thinks is foolishness is ultimately true wisdom. So Christian, please hear me. Do you know what you need to do with this? You need to grab a hold of this truth. And you need to put it in front of your mind every single day because the world tells you every single day that you're a fool. You're a fool for believing that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. You're a fool for believing that blood needed to be shed to forgive you of your sin. You're a fool for believing in the wrath of God. You're a fool for believing that you can be saved from all your wrongs by someone else taking your punishment upon themselves. You're a fool for believing there is such a thing as sin and you need to repent of it instead of embrace it and be authentic to yourself. You're a fool for believing every word of the Bible. You're a fool. That's what the world says. Now, maybe it doesn't say it as aggressively or outwardly hostile as I've just done, but it is the message. And if you don't hold to this text, to the truth of this text as precious, listen to me. If you don't hold to the message of this text as precious, you're going to start believing that to some degree. You're going to start to be embarrassed by the truth you believe. You're going to start to shy away from the truth you believe. Not hold as boldly to the truth you believe. Maybe question the truth you believe. Maybe redefine the truth you believe. Maybe walk away from the truth you believe. But if you keep this in the front of your mind... If you let God's wisdom, not man's wisdom, have the loudest voice in your head, then you can stand in front of anyone and boldly and happily say, yes, I'm a fool. Yes, I'm a simpleton. Yes, I'm a complete idiot. And that's okay because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. I am a fool and I'm fine with Well, Paul's not done. And neither am I. I'm just getting warmed up. Get the coffee ready. In this rework of how the Corinthians think about things, he's got more to impress upon them. Namely, God's wisdom is displayed through a crucified Savior, point one. God's wisdom is also displayed by a low-status people, point two. Look at 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. so that as it is written, let he who boasts boast in the Lord. So I have another question for you. If you were an all-powerful and all-wise God, who would you choose to represent you? Who would you choose to be your people? Ooh, ooh, I know. You would choose the lowly you would choose the not-so-special. You would choose the not-so-smart, the not-so-attractive. No, of course you wouldn't do that. You would choose an Ivy Leaguer. You would choose the tall, the tan, the terrific. But our ways are not God's ways. For consider your calling, brothers. Brothers. A moment ago, Paul said to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The called are those whom God irresistibly and effectually calls to himself. The called are those upon whom God sets his saving affection. The called, to use the language of Ephesians 1, are those he chose in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. The called are his people those who believe and are saved. And are his people the tall, tan, and terrific? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. The answer is no. God's people are not special. At least as it relates to how the world defines special. Now, of course, this is a specific word directed most plainly to a specific church corinth and just to clarify for you he's not saying that there's no one of significance in this congregation so if you were to read the the letter and the contact and context and acts and romans you'd you'd find out that there are some significant people crispus and erastus and stephanus and aquila and priscilla but overall they're unimpressive but not only is this a word specifically to the church in Corinth, more broadly, it's a word that applies to the church in every age. And while God certainly does save the wise and the intelligent, Christianity is the religion of the masses. Christianity is the religion of the normal. It's the religion of the not-so-special. After all, a little, illiterate child can believe and be saved. Why does Paul point this out? Two reasons. Number one, to slap the Corinthians for their ungodly and dumb thinking. They are pandering and clamoring to be respectable, lining up behind the teacher they think is most wise, criticizing those who claim allegiance to another. It's like they think they're special and they want to be seen as special. And Paul says, you're not special. You know, that's kind of hard to hear. In our day where the expectation is to phrase things so that nobody's criticized, I'm honestly not sure if we'd say it. Like if your kid fails a standardized test, we don't say they failed the test, we say they are approaching expectations. (laughs) But Paul just says it. He says, You're not that special. Because he's not interested in their psyche, he's interested in humbling their swelling pride. Which brings me to the second point. It's not just the Corinthians that need to be humbled. It's all of us that need to be humbled. Mankind. This truth reproves the pride of man. But God chose what is foolish in the world, the shameless, wrong, uh, the wise, excuse me, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, here's what you need to know. This shaming and bringing to nothing is a future thing. It is an eschatological thing that will happen on the day of judgment. And on that day, the swelling pride of man will finally be shown for what it is absolutely nothing. Those who trusted in their wisdom will not boast in their wisdom in that day. Those who trusted in their strength will not boast in their strength in that day. They will be fully and finally reproved as the foolish, the weak, the unimpressive. And all those who simply put their trust in Christ, those whom they thought were unimpressive, they are the ones who will be received into the eternal favor of God. While those who thought they were impressive will be damned. You know why God chooses a not so special people? It's so that he receives all the glory. And in case that hasn't become quite clear, he hammers it home one last time in verse 30. And because of him, because of God's mercy and grace, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption? So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. My goodness. You know, the one thing we need to do with this as believers? I'm sure, there are many things we should do with this. But one thing that I think of. Is that we need to let this put an end to our clamoring for significance and respectability in the eyes of the world. This is a huge issue. We want to be respected. We want to be considered wise. We at least want to not be considered social pariahs. Amen? We got to let go of that. We got to let go of that. Because God has chosen what is weak and foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise and the strong. And if we were to really just think about it for just a minute, isn't the way the world treats us the same as it treated Jesus? It, it, it didn't respect Jesus. It didn't listen to Jesus. It mocked and rejected and betrayed Jesus. Our law is no different. So instead of fighting it and clamoring for what God doesn't intend to give us in the first place, can we, can we please just embrace it? Can we stop wishing and longing for the respect of the world? Can we stop freaking out when we don't get the respect of the world? Can we, can we embrace who we really are? A low-status people. An unimpressive people who simply believe that Jesus Christ died and rose to save us from our sin and a people who are willing to be seen as fools well Paul is still not finished and there is yet another way God's wisdom is demonstrated and it's by an unimpressive presentation so I got another question for you if you were an all wise and all powerful God how would you choose to get your message out Ooh, ooh, I know, (laughs) right? You would choose an unimpressive method, no video, no background sound, no lights, no marketing campaign to build expectation, no merch. I love merch. You choose an unimpressive speaker. Of all the speakers available to you, in your wisdom, you would choose one who's fine, but not great. Of course you wouldn't do that. But as I think you're coming to expect, God's ways are not your ways. Chapter one, verse chapter two, verse one. He says, "And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In that day, the principles of rhetoric were all the rage. Okay, so if you wanted to communicate," If you wanted to have an audience, if you wanted to get your message across, if you wanted to be believed and be relevant and and grab people and have followers, you needed to do it in a way that makes use of those principles. Otherwise, so man says, nobody's going to listen. But that's not what Paul did. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul did not dress up or shine up or accommodate his message to the cultural or intellectual demands of his hearers. He just preached Jesus. Now, let me be clear. I don't want you to misunderstand something. It's not that Paul is uninterested in presenting the gospel well. That is not true. Paul is not trying to be boring in his presentation. He actually is trying to persuade people to believe. (laughs) in place. <laughs> Paul is not trying to be simplistic. He, he does not shy away from complicated topics or arguments in his speech or in his writings. Paul is not saying to me or any other preacher for that matter, hey, feel free to be boring. Feel free to not work hard on your sermon. Just get up there and say, Jesus saves and sit down. He would not say that. He would want me to engage your mind. He would want me to work hard to communicate the meaning and implication of the text effectively what he is arguing against is letting the cultural winds of the day determine the method and the substance of the message. And he goes on. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul does not preach preach an impressive message according to the standards of the world. And Paul himself is not an impressive messenger according to the standards of the world. His message and his means are not shaped by the winds of culture but the wisdom of God. And God blesses that. As he preaches, as this simple, straightforward message goes out, simply preached by a simple messenger, God's spirit moves, God's power is demonstrated, sinners' hearts are laid bare before them, they're convicted of their sins, they see their need for a savior, they put their trust in Christ and they are saved. So much to reflect on here. One is let's make sure we're not adjusting the message of the gospel to the cultural winds of our day. Ours is a day of obsession with prosperity, and so we have the prosperity version of the gospel. What Jesus came to do is to bring you health and wealth. Believe in Jesus and you will have it. that's not the gospel. It does have a kernel of it. Jesus did come to give you prosperity, but it is primarily prosperity in eternity. Ours is a day of the therapeutic, and so we have a therapeutic version of the gospel. What Jesus came to do is to save you from your unhappiness. And believing in Jesus is the way to be happy and the way to be whole. That's not the gospel. It has a kernel of it. Jesus did come to make you happy, eternally happy, by forgiving you all your sin and reconciling you to God. And ours is a day where we long for social transformation and so we have the social justice version of the gospel. What Jesus came to do is overthrow the oppressor and make all of the societal ills of our day right that have been wronged. That's not the gospel. It has a kernel of it. He he will make the world right one day when Jesus comes back and the gospel does make a difference in the world today at all levels, but it happens as more And more sinners put their hope in Christ and their lives are transformed by his power. So let's not let the message of the gospel be shaped by the wisdom of the world. And let's also not let the, uh, the message of the gospel, excuse me, let's also not let the medium of the message be shaped by the world either you know, if we were smart, I would just stop talking this morning and throw up a video of a preacher much more talented than me. You're very kind. You say, BJ, you're very talented. Thank you. (laughs) Or if we were smart, I'd stop preaching and I'd replace this pulpit with a coffee table and I'd sit on a stool and we'd just have a, a conversation. Or if if I were smart, I I wouldn't walk through a text. That's so boring. I would pick a personal problem that's near and dear to your heart, and, and that's what I would talk about. But all of that just represents the wisdom of the world. Man's thinking about how to draw a crowd, how to interest a people, how to grow a church. By the way, I know that for most of us, we would hear those things and we'd think, amen, come on. That's why I go to RGC. Come on, bring it, right? I fear that we may fall prey to this thinking in a way. I I know you hear those examples, and you thank God that you are not like other men, pun intended. But what about when we have a special study or a course seminar or a conference, and the topic or the issue doesn't immediately scratch and itch your feeling? What if the event's sole purpose was to teach you more about God? Would you come? How is it going to apply to me? It's not going to apply to you. It's going to teach you more about God. Would you come? By the way, everything that teaches you more about God applies to you ultimately. So that's a, that's a non sequitur. But let me be clear. What if all we wanted to do was learn about God? Would you come? Would you be excited? Would you clear your calendar? Or would it not be impressive enough to you? Would it not grab your attention enough? Would you say, that one's not for me, I'm just going to hike? You know what my prayer is for us as a church? That more and more and more we would just delight and desire to know more about God. Regardless of whether or not it seems applicable to us. That's my prayer. I hope you see now how upside down the wisdom of God is in comparison to the wisdom of man. I hope you see how God upends our expectation about strengths and weakness, about what to boast in and what to be ashamed by. And I hope your heart has been strengthened and encouraged to to boast in a crucified Jesus Christ that died, buried, And rose again and by faith in him you are forgiven. I hope you're encouraged to boast in that, to boast in your not so special identity and to boast in the fact that yesterday, today and forever it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the power of God. I hope you're encouraged to boast in that. And one final word. To those of you here this morning who aren't in Christ, There were commercials years ago for cigarettes. And they were foolish. But everyone believed them. Three out of five doctors recommend camels. It's true. And everyone believed them. Because that was the wisdom... Of the day, but how foolish was that wisdom? That is going to be the perspective that you will have on your entire life at the judgment seat of Christ in a coming day. In that day, when you stand before the risen Lord, when He judges you, you will feel eternal regret and anguish at the fact that you you thought the way you thought made sense and represented wisdom or or being cool or having the freedom to do whatever you want. It was all in the end a lie and you believed it to your eternal regret. You will see Jesus in that day. You will see him in his glory and you will see your folly But you will never have a chance to repent. It will be gone. But it is not gone yet. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. He is true wisdom. He is true power. He is true life. Come to him in simple faith repent of your sin and believe in him and you will be saved that that is wisdom pray with me Lord we confess that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts And so, God, we simply sit, I simply sit, this morning I sit underneath your word, I pray these people have sat underneath your word, and I pray, Father, that we have a spirit that desires to be formed and shaped by your thoughts and not ours. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God, we thank you that you are not like us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, and salvation by faith in him. In Jesus' name, amen.